Bibles, let's go ahead and open those up to Acts chapter 20 this morning. sound of life in the back of our church in case you're wondering what that rattle is. <laughs> That's awesome. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12 this morning, but before we do that I want to open us up with a word of prayer. So pray with me please. Father, I'm grateful uh, that we have the opportunity to gather this morning as your church. We have the opportunity to sing praises to your name, sing about your great faithfulness to us. We have the opportunity to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ together who have been joined from different places, different times, different groups to be mindful of all that we have in Jesus. You've brought us together through the powerful bond of the cross, and I'm thankful for that, Lord. I'm grateful for the encouragement that we gain from one another. I pray that uh, as we look at your word this morning, if there's any that are struggling and needing more encouragement, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be uh, especially present in their hearts here this morning. We love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So last week, at the end of Acts 19, we saw a riot rise up in Ephesus against the Apostle Paul. All right. um, he was in Ephesus. A silversmith named Demetrius riled the people up against the church and especially against Paul, mainly because Paul's teaching uh, and his mission for the church is uh, impacting Demetrius's bank account. And we talked about how he did mention some other things, some issues with people not worshiping Artemis anymore, but the, the main thing was that he was affecting the economy. It's being disrupted because the fact that the church is moving through the city of Ephesus, there are uh, less people who are worshiping Artemis, and so these people who are making these silver idols and other craftsmen, uh, they're no longer having their stuff purchased uh, by the people because they're no longer worshiping uh, the goddess of the hunt there. Um, as we know, all know, losing money is a huge motivator for action. And when you couple that with another huge motivator, which is religious zeal, I'm not saying that there wasn't some uh, desire to see their goddess worshipped. Uh, I just think that most of that was motivated by finances. Uh, but when you take money and you take religious zeal, uh, you're afraid that maybe this, this deity might lose favor with your people. Uh, when you do that, you see people get uh, crazy, right? And so what we saw was the people of Ephesus got crazy, uh, and they started a riot in the city against the people of God. Luke tells us that the whole city of Ephesus was in confusion. The people rushed to the amphitheater, and some were shouting one thing, some were shouting another, because a lot of the people who were there didn't even know why they were there. They were like, hey, there's a crowd of people yelling. Let's go join them and yell too. And like, you're yelling the wrong thing. Well, maybe you're yelling the wrong thing. So they had no idea why they're there, but they get worked up into a frenzy. Uh, and this lasted for hours 
until a wise city clerk finally comes out and starts to settle their riot by saying, like, there's other means, legal means, uh, to settle this problem, right? If Demetrius has a problem with Paul, he says the courts are open. He's welcome to take legal action against Paul, but what you're doing right now is illegal and you're going to get us in trouble, and so you guys need to stop. Uh, and this became clear to the people there, and this, the assembly was dismissed. So this week, uh, at the beginning of chapter 20, we're going to see that Paul acts on the travel plans that he shared with us in chapter 19, verses 21 to 22. We're told there that the Holy Spirit is motivating Paul to travel through Macedonia, Achaia, and then move on his way to Jerusalem. Now, we don't see the reason why this trip is supposed to happen in the book of Acts. We have to patch together some different places, the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians. Uh, it tells us that the reason Paul is making this journey is to gather an offering for the church in Jerusalem who are struggling financially. So the Jewish believers, uh, they've hit a famine and they're not able to produce what they need uh, to survive. And so the Gentile churches in these areas have put together an offering to send to the church in Jerusalem in order to encourage them. Uh, and along with the gathering the offering, we're going to see in our passage this morning that there's this theme of encouragement that Luke is trying to impress upon us uh, that he's going to emphasize in the 12 verses that we're going to look at this morning. Part of that's going to look at ways that the church encourages one another. And part of that is going to look at how we can be encouraged by the routine practices of the church. All right, so let's begin by looking at verses 1 to 6. So follow along with me as I read that. Luke says here, After the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying farewell departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And the Jews plotted against him when he was about to set sail for Syria. And so he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phyrus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. In five days, we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. So, craziness of the riot is over, right? Paul sends for the disciples and he offers them encouragement, right? You, as you may imagine, seeing the city in an uproar uh, because of your, the impact that your newfound faith is having there would have been jarring, right? These believers would not have been believers for very long, right? Paul hasn't been there that long, and all of a sudden you see this persecution already beginning to start in their lives. And so knowing this, knowing that this could have been jarring, Paul takes time before he leaves Ephesus to speak words of encouragement to, believers, to the believers there. Right? He's hoping to remind them that the persecution that they've experienced thus far and will more than likely experience for the, their whole lives uh, is worth it to be in relationship with the one true God, the relationship that they find through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Right? Paul knows all too well how difficult it can be to follow Christ. Right? Everywhere he goes... He is the primary target of hostility, of people who are wanting to stomp out 
the effectiveness of the church, and they see him as one of the figureheads of that. And so he is openly, hostily tracked and trying to be taken out at all times. So Paul knows how difficult this is. And this also shouldn't be a surprise for us if we have had any time in the faith at all ourselves. Right? It might be surprising to the new believers in Ephesus, but if you've had any time in the church, any time in the world as a believer, we know that there's going to be a struggle for us. Jesus is clear about this in the Gospels. Right? It is all over the Gospels, in the Beatitudes. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets before you. Right in Matthew 10, verses 16 and 18, it says, Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. Right? In John 15, 18 to 21, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. So all of that points to the guarantee that if we are faithful in our worship to God, it will lead to strife and struggle in this world. Guaranteed. Jesus said, expect it, plan for it, cling to me in it. But the world is opposed to God. And because the world is opposed to God, then it's going to be opposed to us. Because we're following God. And that is on top of all the other things that come to us because of the curse of sin that affects our lives. Right? Because of the curse of sin, nothing in this life is easy for long. Right? It doesn't matter how new it is. If it exists for any length of time, something is going to go bad with it. Our bodies fail us. Our, bodies fail us. Our jobs can be lost. Our stuff can be taken away. Right? We can lose those we care about. All the money in the world cannot buy you peace, not lasting peace. Right? Even when we have a relationship with Christ, we will still struggle with our sin nature that has a tendency to make us want to lean away from the promises of God. So we're constantly battling to hold on to the joy that Christ offers us. It's a nonstop, never-ending battle. And on top of all of this, we have an enemy named Satan who is actively working against us with the primary goal of distorting and destroying the things of God. He will steal our joy if we let him. But Jesus also offers these comforting words. Find encouragement in these words in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called sons of God. And in John 16.33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In Christ you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Right, we can take encouragement in these words. So for those of us who have weathered some storms in this life by clinging to the promises of God over time, we have a groundwork of God being faithful to those promises to us in those difficult moments. But you've got these new believers in Ephesus. They're experiencing this stuff for the first time. You know, will the promises of God actually prevail as the troubles of life come at me? Right? Those were their, their people. Those were family and friends and co-workers. Those are people that they worshipped with before. And suddenly, because of Christ, now these are enemies. These are people who are looking to destroy what we have now put our faith in. Will God's promises get us through the loss of these relationships? Will God's promises get us through the loss of maybe our business or our home? Right? Are God's promises enough for this? So before Paul leaves, he wants to offer encouragement to the church there. He probably said something like this. We don't know what he said, but it probably sounded something like this. Following Christ isn't easy, but it's worth it. Right? Following Christ isn't easy, but it offers joy in this life. Joy in the midst of pain and sorrow and struggle and persecution. Following Christ isn't easy, but it promises an eternity of rewards that make the best this life has to offer junk in comparison. So with all these things as our reality in our lives as well, church, I want to encourage you in the same way with these same promises that God has offered to us. Following Christ isn't easy, but it's worth it. Following Christ doesn't promise us a lack of sin and pain and struggle and sorrow and persecution, but there's joy in it. Right? Following Christ isn't easy, but it promises an eternity of rewards that make anything in this life look like junk in comparison. Be encouraged today, church, as you follow Christ with everything that you have, no matter what may come against you. And after this, Paul leaves and he heads to Macedonia. As he goes through that area, Luke tells us that Paul encourages the believers in those areas as well. You see how the theme of encouragement is all through these 12 verses. Right? And then it says he heads to Greece and stays there for three months. And as he's about to head out to Syria, Paul learns that the Jews are plotting against him once again. Right? Nothing new, but... Here we are. He's having to deal with this again. And so he changes his travel plans at that point, and he heads back through Macedonia. And I, I wanted to say a brief word about this to you, because I know that throughout our cor the course of the study of Acts, I have been pushing hard on this idea of boldness. Be bold in your faith. Don't be afraid. Right? Stand firm in the promises of God. And I want to remind you that when you are bold in your faith, there are certain risks that come in this life because you can't avoid that if you're going to honor God. 
right? You can't avoid persecution if you're going to honor God. You can't avoid certain sinful tendencies in people if you're going to honor God. But that doesn't mean that we have to take unnecessary risks to prove how bold we are, all right? If God had called Paul to go through Syria and to deal with all that stuff that the Jews were planning for him, I have no doubt in my mind that Paul would have been obedient to that call. Paul has proven over and over again that he's not afraid of hardship, right? But the goal here is Jerusalem. The goal is to to collect that offering and to make his way with that to the people of Jerusalem who need it. And that doesn't mean that he has to go get persecuted by the Jews in Syria along the way. Right? So he wisely altered his route to avoid an unnecessary conflict. So with this in mind, we need to... We need to be mindful that we cannot let fear dictate our life, right? We can't run from every problem. We can't run from every challenge that is presented to us. Sometimes we need to face that stuff head on. But if we can avoid these problems without directly disobeying a command of God, then it's okay to do that, right? If we're sitting here with the Great Commission in our mind and on our lips, then and we're like, oh, that's scary. I'm not going to do that. No, you can't run from that. You be bold in that proclamation, right? But when you have, for example, believers in Afghanistan who are now having to flee because of the new regime of the Taliban coming in there, like they don't have to stay there in order to show their, show their boldness in their faith, right? Some of them may have been called to stay there. And if they are called to stay there by God, then they need to stay there to be obedient to that command. But for those who have not had a specially uh, given word from the Lord about that, it's okay for them to find a safe place to worship, to live, to proclaim the gospel another day. The same may be true here for us today. It's different because we don't face persecution like that. We don't face the persecution that Paul faced. Right, But let's just say that you have a job and it's been made clear that because you are vocal about your faith at that job, someone has you in their sights. They're coming after you. They're looking to slander you in some way. They're looking to make problems for you. Maybe it's something that's going to be long lasting. Like over time, they're going to get you fired and it's going to be a tarnish on you know, your resume or whatever. And it's like one of those things that doesn't go away. Right? Maybe you hear uh, there, there's going to be a, a, a sexual assault charge brought against you because this person doesn't like you or whatever it is. Maybe they're just trying to destroy you. It's hard to put this into a similar context as what Paul would be facing. But let's just say that unless God has told you specifically to stay there and endure all that, you don't have to stay. Right? You don't have to try to puff out your chest and show how bold you are in your faith in situations like that. If you can go find another job, go find another job. Right? We don't have to stand for that. Um, being bold for Christ doesn't mean we check our brains at the door. Right? We're supposed to think through this. Right? We should be in a constant relationship with God to know what He desires for us. But if there is no firm Proclamation in your life that says you need to to do that, uh, we should use our wisdom to help us determine our best course of action. Right? I knew I knew a couple of guys who were going on a mission trip to Honduras. They were going on a mission trip to uh, a very difficult place. 
in that place. And they were known for targeting missionaries and people that were going on mission. And so persecution was happening in that place. And they were excited about the idea of being persecuted for their faith. Right? So, like, they were talking about being stupid bold with their faith. Right? Going out there being flamboyant about all of that, hoping to draw persecution so that they could say that they had been persecuted for their faith. Now, this is dumb on many levels. Okay? One, you bring, when you're that bold and dumb, you bring tarnish on the name of Christ. Okay? Two, for all the other people who are trying to exist in that place and have their ministry there, you can derail their ministry by coming in and being foolish. Right? And three, let's say you are bold for Christ and you die, you don't get to live for Jesus another day. Right? You could bring, a, they could have brought so much trouble in for all the other people who did not want to be dumb with their faith in that moment. All right, so I gently tried to correct that as much as I could. Uh, and I do believe that they managed to get themselves under control. But we have to be wise in our course of action with these things. All right, we see wisdom in the rest of Paul's journey in two ways. Number one, he avoids the issue with the Jews by going a different way. And number two, we see that he's traveling with some men from the different churches that have offered gifts to the church in Jerusalem. So these men were likely coming to show solidarity with the church in Jerusalem. You've got these Gentile believers who are indicating that the walls that used to be up between them and the Jewish believers have been torn down through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Paul speaks to this in Galatians 3, 27 and 28. He says, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Right? So these guys are showing, hey, you may be Jewish believers and we may be Gentile believers, but none of that matters because of Jesus. Right? None of that matters because at the cross, the ground is level and the dividing walls are torn down. Right? So that's part of it. But also in traveling with these men, Paul now has an entourage. Right? He's got some people who can watch his back because he's also traveling with a large sum of money. Right? He's going to a place where there could be a lot of bandits, a lot of people who are trying to rob him. And so he's got some people that can watch his back as he goes. All right, so being bold for the faith and doing what God has called you to do is really meant to be done in isolation. Right? That's why we need the church. Right? That's why we need each other. So that we can watch each other's backs. Sometimes it's against bandits and sometimes it's against our own sinful tendencies. But we need the church. And it says on their way to Jerusalem, some of the men, they go on to Troas. It says that Luke and Paul spend the time... Uh, that they were, as they're going to Troas, they spend the time celebrating the Passover in Philippi. This is probably where Luke stayed after the second missionary journey. So we do know that at some point Luke joins Paul in that journey, uh, but he just kind of falls off. There was some we language, and then all of a sudden the we never comes back. But here we see it again. So he's rejoined, and it's likely that he rejoined that Philippi. Um, and so they stay there. They celebrate the Passover. 
Uh, and then after that, it says that they go on to Troas to meet the rest of the people and they spend a week there. Right? They're likely waiting on transports, probably a boat that they're waiting to leave, and it's leaving a week from the time that they get there. And so they spend a week uh, there, and it's, we see a little bit uh, of what Paul does during that time in verses 7 to 12. So let's look at that. Beginning in verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed, because he's alive. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. So, kind of crazy, right? I don't want to hear any of y'all fuss at me for my long sermons ever again. All right? Not that any of you have, but they're there for about a week. Sunday rolls around, and Paul and the church there in Troas, they're gathered together for worship. That worship is centered around the Lord's Supper. Right? I know it says they broke bread together and we're Baptists, so in our minds that means potluck. Right? But uh, when we see the language of breaking bread together in the context of the New Testament, it's almost always, if not always, meant to allude to the Lord's Supper. Right? And so for them, this was usually done in the context of a meal. Right? So they would uh, break the bread, they would drink the wine, uh, remembering Christ's broken body and shed blood, and then they would eat together afterwards. All right, so given that Paul was getting ready to leave the next day, the whole day was dedicated to learning from him. I mean, this is a unique opportunity. Imagine, imagine your hero in the faith is passing through here. It's going to be a one-time opportunity to, to meet with them and to learn from them and glean from them. Like, so you, you want the whole day. And so the whole day into the night and until sunrise, Paul is teaching the church there in a house in Troas. Um, and... I mean, it must be a big house because as he's preaching, there's a, a young man named Eutychus. He's sitting up on the third story of this house near a window, and it says that he's battling sleep. We get the notion that he's battling it because it says that it overcame him, right? So he's trying to stay awake. He's trying to stay focused on Paul. And as sometimes happens uh, in sermons, long talks, lectures, etc., Eutychus falls asleep. I know it doesn't happen to you guys. I mean, that would never happen here. Um, but, but he falls asleep. And when I say he falls asleep, he literally falls asleep. That should have gotten a laugh. That was funny. All right. He literally falls asleep. I've never had the opportunity to say that before. Uh, he fell from the third floor. And as you would expect, falling from the third floor, he dies. Right. So what happened after that? That's usually the end of the event. Right. Somebody just falls over dead in here. We're going to cancel the rest of the rest of the service okay uh but paul goes down to this boy luke says that paul embraced him and eutychus comes back to life through the power of jesus and what do they do after that well paul says okay this is a good time to take a break right somebody's died i brought them back to life so let's take a little break and so paul and the others they take the lord's supper they enjoy their meal together and then they get back to it they get back to paul's teaching until the sun comes up so not even Death is going to get you out of this teaching time by Paul. 
right? So some of you may be tempted to try that on a particularly verbose Sunday here, but let me just say I have zero luck bringing people back from the dead. So it's best to just wait it out, you know, chew some gum, write a note, something, but uh, don't try dying because it's not going to end well for you. Um, After this time when the church service is over, Paul leaves and we're told that the church takes the boy home alive and are greatly comforted. Right? That comfort could be applied to the idea that the boy is alive. It could be applied uh, to the time that they had with the Apostle Paul. So it's not real clear. Or it could be both. But as you see in this passage, there's a great deal of comforting and encouraging that's happening during Paul's travel on his way to Jerusalem. And to wrap up this morning, what I want to do is point to the different ways that the believers around Paul found and offered comfort to one another. All right? So in verses 1 to 6, we see three things. All right? The church encourages the church, number one, by giving. All right? You have these churches who have no vested interest in the Jerusalem church other than the fact that these are our brothers and sisters in Christ and they're struggling. They don't know them. They've never seen them. If they didn't make this trip with them, they probably would never have meet them, uh, met them until heaven. And yet, the church sees that there's an issue within the church. And they decide to collect their hard-earned money and send an offering to another church. Right, so the church can encourage the church by seeing the needs that are within the body And then we can slowly let that ripple out into our community. If we see another church suffering and we can help in some way with that, then we can gather together our resources, time, talent, and treasure. I talk to you guys about that all the time. We can gather that up and we can go help. But that's one way that we can encourage the church is through our giving. Another is visiting others face-to-face. So Paul could have sent a letter. He sent many letters. He could have sent a letter to the church in Macedonia. He could have sent someone else to go and grab that offering and bring it back because he's Paul. After all, he's very busy. Right? But no, he goes to these churches in order to encourage them face to face. And then after that, we see men from this church deciding to go and show their solidarity with the church in Jerusalem. Right? So they make it a point to spend time together face-to-face. And it, that's how we encourage one another in the church as well. Right? We gather together, sometimes in small groups, sometimes in large groups, sometimes one-on-one. But we spend time together and we encourage one another in the faith. Right? Life is hard. And if we go at it alone, it's not going to end well for us. We need the church. A third way that we see them encourage each other is by serving one another. Right? All of this is acts of service. The gathering together of the money, the coming to, to show solidarity, all of this is them striving to, to serve a struggling church. Right? Time, talent, resources. We're supposed to sacrifice those for the good of others. Right? It, it can't, if we are just bringing that in, it's all my time, it's all my money, it's all my talents, I'm going to focus that on my life. Number one, you've misunderstood the gospel. You've misunderstood what Jesus came to do. 
but we have to be mindful of the needs of the people around us. Look, if you are too busy to serve, you are too busy. Period. All right, that's the buzzword. Nobody wants to be seen as lazy in our culture, and so everybody is busy. And we make it a point to fill up our lives in such a way that we don't have time to do the things that are necessary to encourage the church. And so we need to make sure that we are allocating enough of our life to the church so that we can encourage people who might be struggling. All right, if you are too busy to serve, you are too busy. And what we saw in the last few verses there, 7 through 12, we see that the church is encouraged by the regular practices of the church. All right, so the first we saw of was them gathering together in worship. Right? Can you be a Christian and not come to church? Yes. Can you be an obedient Christian by not coming to church? No. We are called to gather together in worship often. Scripture says every day, right? That's a little different, different in our culture, a little bit more difficult to do that. But we are to be constantly coming together in an effort to worship God together. And we have the perfect opportunity from 9 to 11 o'clock every Sunday and from 6.30 to 7.30 every Sunday night. You have plenty of opportunity to gather. And I can assure you, you don't have good excuses consistently for missing that on a regular basis. Right? We need to gather together. This is where you get discipleship. This is where you get encouraged. This is where you get confronted with your sin. We need to gather together. It is important in the life of the church that we be a part of the body. Right? Number two, we see them celebrating the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we get to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. That is how we have life with God. That's how we have that relationship restored. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus came and He lived and He died on our behalf so that we could have His righteousness when He took our sin. And we remember that regularly through the Lord's Supper. And so that's not something that we should be casual about. It's not something that we should be flipping about. It seems like in the language of this passage that they took the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. Every single week they gathered together, they broke the bread, and they worshiped through fellowship. Right? Number three, the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Right? God has given us the opportunity to open His Word on a weekly basis in a very comfortable place and a way to do it in a, that it's not it's not out of that out of the way for us right some people are having to hunker down in a basement so that that people aren't kicking in their door and t pulling them out right so that they can hear the teaching and preaching of God's word right but we have to avail ourselves to that if we're going to find any encouragement in the word yes we can read it for ourselves Right? But God has appointed elders to the church for the purpose of edification and, and deepening discipleship. And so that's one of the ways that they came. And lastly, this may seem odd, but the resurrection of Eutychus reminds us that our God has the power over death. Right? Now, Eutychus is going to die again in the same way that Lazarus died again after he was raised from the dead. All the people that have been raised from the dead in scriptures, 
will die again except for Jesus because he was the first fruits of what's to come. Right? So everyone else that rose from the dead died again. But it does show that God has the power over death. Right? When, when Jesus came and when he sacrificed himself and God raised him from the dead, the power of sin and the power of death lost its power. Now, we are no longer slaves to sin and we should no longer fear death because it's not the end of the story. Right? We will all rise again. The believers and the non-believers, the non-believers to condemnation and separation from God forever. But the believers will rise again to an eternity in the presence of God. And that should encourage us. Right? So an application question. How are you at encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ? You making time for it? Making sure that you're not too busy? How are you at encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ? On the flip side of that, do you need encouragement? My life is hard. There are different seasons for different people and at different times. And that's another reason why the church is so important. Because when I'm strong, you may be weak. And when I'm weak, you may be strong. And we need to support one another in those moments. Right? So if you need encouragement, let me ask you this. How well are you making time to meet these constant practices of the church that could offer you encouragement? Right? It's hard to say I'm so discouraged and, and not go to church. It's hard to say I'm, I'm so discouraged and not regularly partake in the Lord's Supper. I mean... We're offering this for your encouragement, for your opportunity to grow in your faith. And so if you need encouragement, let us encourage you. That's why we're here. That's what the church is for. Let's pray together. Father, it is my desire that this place would be a place of encouragement for those who are going through rough patches in this life, which are guaranteed. Because of the way that sin has affected this world, we're going to have hardship. That might be through our health, through our jobs, through our families, whatever it may be. Uh, Lord, help us to find encouragement among the people of God. Help us to uh, make an effort to prioritize this, to prioritize these people. So that our lives aren't so busy that we don't have the opportunity to serve. So our lives aren't so caught up with trying to buy all the things that we want that we've got money to set aside for giving. So that we're not too busy to spend time looking another brother or sister in the eye and telling them that you love them. That you want what's good for them. Or so as we go from this place, it's my desire uh, that you would put encouragement in our heart and that we would share that through the abundance of all that you've given us in this life. But I love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.